You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast hosted by Zach Bechtold and Matt Franks. If you'd like to find out more about the Bearded Theologians, you can go online at beardedtheologians.com where you'll find all of our past podcasts and other blog posts that we have up, along with some other items that you can purchase to help support the Beardcast. So we hope you enjoy listening to this week's show. You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast hosted by Matt Franks and Zach Bechtold. And we have uh, a longtime guest and friend with us uh, returning. Uh, the Reverend Jerry Herships. Um, Jerry, glad to have you on, man. Hey, man. It's uh, good to be here. And it's strange. Uh, very rarely do I get the Reverend. <laughs> I, so it, my, my wife's like, you dropped 30 grand for that title. I would think we should use it occasionally. You know, and I'm like, yeah. So yes, gentlemen, I am indeed the Reverend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you use it on the podcast, that's... that's <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, I wish I knew that before I dropped the 30 grand. <laughs> I just had to come on your show. And no, I don't know if you missed it, but episode 615, yeah, I said the reverend, so now we <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> but, uh, no, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's good. Uh, so you, you've got a new book out uh, called Rogue Saints. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, that came about, I, I wrote uh, Last Call uh, th- three or four years ago, and... Uh, it, it sold well enough that Westminster John Knox was like open to hear ideas and Jessica Miller Kelly's my editor. And she, she said, Hey, if, if you got other thoughts, we'd love to hear them. And so I'd pitch things and, and Jessica's become just a, a good friend on top of being a really solid editor and her husband, uh, Matthew, he's clergy. And so whenever I'm in town with them, we get together and she's really, really smart and she really knows the business. And I'd pitch something. She'd go, you know, and here's why, you know, I mean, not just that stupid, but she would say, and eventually we pitched this idea of, of me saying, you know, I've, I've spent so much time outside the church walls. Uh, you know, I became a Methodist. I mean, like I I grew up Catholic and then didn't go to church. It set foot in a church for 10 years and then slowly tiptoed into Methodism only because my wife was a Methodist. And we had just uh, we had just survived the the Northridge quake out in L.A. and we just survived um, the riots and the the upheaval that was going on there. And so we left and went to Orlando and found a Methodist church that that she the preacher was great and I liked the music and but I still had all this sort of collected knowledge of going wow there's a lot of people that want to talk about God and have lots of guilt about church and but still de- desperately need community. And, and how do we build all that together? And, and so I said to her one time, you know, I said, could we write something around the idea that, that God is everywhere and you can find God in a lot of places and, and a lot of those places don't have stained glass. And I just think we need to encourage that and try to alleviate some of the guilt because you guys probably get this all the time. When you see somebody that hasn't come to church in a while or that just doesn't and they see you and they go, yeah, you know, dude, I am oh God, Sundays have been crazy. We've got like softball or soccer's going on. And, you know, I, but I swear to God, like they automatically go into this sort of apologetic mode of, of feeling like they're, they've been shamed for not going to church. And I'm like, look, God didn't want you to be there and feel shame. That's like the antithesis of God. And so how do we create a space to go, look, if you love your church, go there and shut this book, go there and have a great time. If you don't, find one that you love or find a way that connects to God for you that works for you. But that doesn't mean you, you get to pass on community. 
you have to find that community. So I pitched her this and, and she said, you know, the, the spiritual but not religious idea um, to some degree is played out. She goes, what's unique about it is it's not often uh, an ordained clergy person is, is pitching that idea. She says, you know, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, I am a reverend. So, you know, when you've got a reverend going, hey, let it go. You, you don't have to go on Sunday, but you have to, it's like a bartender going, the last call, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. It's like, you don't have to go to church, but you have to find something because you, your life is, is empty. And, and I know very few Bible verses, but I know John 10, 10 says, God wants you to have an abundant life. And I think community and connecting the sacred does that. And, and through that pitch, we were able to come up with, with this idea for rogue saints. And early on, we said, well, we'll interview a bunch of people. I put out a mass thing on Facebook and what was weird that we didn't plan on was we interview, I think it's like half a dozen people and they just had fascinating connections, running, yoga, painting, music, um, surfing, backpack, all these different things. All of them, except for one, ended up being clergy people. So here are the people that are, are designed to, to lead corporate worship and they're saying, yeah, that's great. And here's where I really connect to God in a unique way. And so I thought it, it led some credence to the idea that even these people that are steeped in tradition uh, can find the holy uh, backpacking, can find it on a wave, you know, can find it in different ways. So that, that's, that's a little bit about what it is. Oh, and, and wait, there's also drink recipes at the end of every chapter. So if that's your thing, you can say, well, that the God thing is great, but I think chapter six has the Vukare. I want to look that up and know how to make that. So that's, that's the, the semi-quick pitch on, uh, on, on Rogue Saints. So. No, I, I love that because that's, um, you know, that's a lot of what we all talk about here. And, and that's essentially what we're trying to do here is find that place, you know, through a podcast of how do we connect with one another? How do we connect with God? And uh, living an hour and a half from Glacier National Park, you know, from now until September, October, people want to be out in the park, right? People want to be not in church, not in their town. They want to be out. And that's been my big push of the same thing. Oh God, pastor, I'm tired. Sunday's the only day we had. It was beautiful. Right. Bless you. Please go. (laughs) You're where you need to be. I'm a firm believer in that, whether that's in the pew on Sunday morning or backpacking or with your grandkids or wherever, wherever you need to be in those moments, that's where you need to be. That's where you're finding God and, and, and in the presence. And so I love, I love that it's not only your voice in this, but it's a collective of voices and experiences and drink recipes. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm almost certain it's the first drink red cocktail book that Westminster John Knox ever published. I, I'm almost certain Brueggemann never did that. And uh, now I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that that that, that was in none of his books. So uh, uh, that, that part feels great. And I, and I think, you know, even when it does come to our churches, we know the people that, that are, that pull the most out of their faith community are the ones that have found, found a smaller community within that, whether that's the choir or their Sunday school group or the church volleyball team or softball team, they, they found, so it's not just going in and sitting in a pew passively and listening to one of us talk. It, it's this, this uh, 
it's not a monologue, it's a dialogue. And they actually get to, to share their hearts and souls. That's what I strongly encourage if people find the church thing working. And if they don't, they either need to find those groups or find a way uh, to share with their soul. We've got two or three groups like that, my wife and I, that, that we do that with. That's very intentional. And there's people that were very intentional. So because um, I don't know how many people watching this are like clergy folks, but it's a relatively isolating, lonely gig. And I live in Denver. So if you get folks that are on the plains or if it's a very small church that doesn't have any staff, uh, I think it's crucial that we, we find that connection. That's a big part of the book is how do we go about finding that connection? That's it. So um, in, in finding that connection, in what ways, uh, in, in, in interviewing these folks, you know, you, you talked about music, you talked about in the bar and, and hiking and doing those things. What really struck you? Uh, what really struck you? Because you're, you're steeped in this. You know, I get to dabble in it in bar church and theology on tap from time to time. And, yeah. uh, but you're steeped in it. And so if it catches your attention, I feel like that's, that's something to draw out a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Well, two things that I've discovered. Uh, one, in interviewing all these people, a theme that I didn't anticipate coming through that did come through was in connecting to God through these activities, whether it was the ones that, that click with me, uh, Curtis Brown talked about backpacking. Uh, Mark Cordes talked about surfing and the number of them that use this metaphor of recognizing how vast the universe is, how huge nature is and, and how that's not a bad reminder especially in work like we do, where it can so often be about us. I mean, okay, you, you all sit in the pews and I'm going to be the only one that talks and I'm going to talk for 15, 20 minutes and you listen to me, you know, that it can, it can really easily become this sort of narcissistic sort of thing that these things sort of rebooted for them. I, I'm, I'm just this small piece in a much bigger puzzle. And, and that theme came through time and time again, this idea of, of I am a piece of this bigger thing and not all about me. And these things help reconnect me to that. Um, so that, that would be one thing. The other thing was the strong, deep, um, caring community of a lot of these bars that I go and visit where people are going and helping somebody clean out their garage. And when somebody hasn't been there for a few days, somebody says, you know, has anybody has anybody seen Carol? Because Carol hasn't been here for a while. And somebody's like, well, let me, I'm going to text her. I'll give her a call. Like, it's exactly the kind of care that we want from our church community. Like, for, we want a faith community that, you know, I, I sent a text to somebody I hadn't seen in a while. And after I, was, I said, look, I'm just saying, we miss you. Um, we are, we are less than with when you're not there. And I think you know me well enough to know this isn't a guilt trip. About, and they were like, oh, absolutely. I totally get that. And I appreciate this. I'm going to be there. In fact, she goes, I'm going to be there next Monday. And I've got some friends that I'm bringing with me, which every church book on the planet says that's the best way to have your congregation grow is, to, you know, on the elbow of somebody that says, no, trust me, they're not going to bite the head off a chicken. They're, they're decent people, you know, and, and will come. That beats the hell out of billboards and ads and all that shit that we spend money on you know it, it's the, that human connection but in bars I was stunned by how deep the relationships went 
people always want to tag it to the, the alcohol. And, and I won't say that that's not a lubricant that helps, but it goes way beyond that. It goes way beyond that. That was a, that was, that I knew. And I definitely wanted to share with people to say, look, it's, it's bigger than this. It's bigger than just the booze. And that's something I've discovered um, being um, in part of the community in a sense of like my kids play soccer. And so we've been real adamant about, you know, connecting with the people that are on my daughter's teams and getting to know the families a little bit, being intentional. And like when one of them's not there, one of them's going through something, send a little text saying, Hey, you know, can we do anything? Can we help you? Like, you know, trying to be, um, be the, the people that we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be caring for our communities, no matter what that looks like. And, um, one of the things I've noticed in the world is that it kind of does, it's kind of like counterintuitive, like not to do that. Right. And so like the church, which should have this natural built in, like, I mean, if, if it's a healthy church, it, it's going to be, you know, Hey, so-and-so wasn't at church today. Why weren't they at church today? Oh, mm -hmm. they went to the park to go hiking. Oh, that's awesome. They haven't been able to get, you know, and, and, and to know their narratives. Like, I think that that's like that big step in, in, in faith, like connection process is, like knowing people and knowing their stories, like knowing their why, like maybe, maybe they can only come on every third Sunday because of the way, maybe they're a caregiver for their mom and dad. And, and that's the one, like, I, I think we lose that. We get so caught up in the paperwork. Like you can't write on your paperwork. You know, we had a decrease in 10% in worship this year because the weather was awesome and everybody went out to connect with God. It's, you know, like, sharing those narratives i think i think i think that's a lost art in regards to the church work um and we've forgotten how to do that absolutely um, and it's a shared narrative i think um, narrative theology is has always been part of the future it, it the bible's based on it and i think we need to continue that story and i think you know i mean i remember i prior to after hours i was i was on the clergy staff of the largest methodist church in the conference and I remember very much, you know, you learn, okay, as a pastor, you can handle this many number of people. And then at this point, you need this number, you need an assistant at this number. You know, we were, we had, I don't know, 5,000 members and constituents that, that were, would become, we'd have 12 to 1,500 on a Sunday. And they were like, oh, well, here's, here's how you do that. And I thought there was something to it losing shape because of that connection, because of that, per, you know, my wife, twisted her ankle and her ligaments are sore or whatever. And I thought if, if we told a pastor, Hey, sorry, we couldn't go out. We were hiking. And the pastor said back to us, that's great. So your ankle's getting better. That would mean the world because they know our story. They know what we're going through or they, they go, Hey, how's third shift? Because they know that at, at the grocery store, we have to rotate shifts and they know that during this time, look, I've got to work the 6 a.m. to 2. And so I'm not going to be in church on Sunday. When we know those stories and, and it, it brings up the interesting question about the size of a church and at what point you may gain in numbers, but, but what's the cost? Like, what are we losing in, in what some might call the minutia that I don't think is the minutia. I think it's the, it's the, it's the core of church. It's, it's the other things the building, the, the choir, the class, that's the, that's like the stuff of church, but like the core of church is that relationship. And if my pastor can, can know those things, I'm just from personal experience, that's meant the world. That's meant the world every time, every time. So. Well, and that, 
Um, I remember just recently we were visiting a large United Methodist church in Kansas City. You may know it. Um, it has a big pastor, you know, kind of a big name guy. But one of the things that, that, that just like stopped my wife and I, as we were walking across the stage to go pick up our, our younger child who was in their, their child care facility thing. And, and he stopped us and he didn't engage us. He engaged my daughter and, and he had preached on um, beauty and the beast. And so he started asking her questions about beauty and the beast. And I looked at my wife and said, you know, if I wasn't a clergy person and we lived in this area, we'd be back at church on Sunday morning because he engaged my child in a way that was very genuine and very authentic. And, and, and so that kind of got me thinking, like, I need to start doing that a little bit more and, and paying attention to um, those people who may be, you know, on the peripheral of our community, of our church community and, and reaching out to them when that something happens. And because of our social media world that we live in, if I'm friends with them or have a connection with them, when somebody breaks their arm or something, hey, I saw your child broke his arm. How's he doing? You know, like, hey, I've been through that. I know what it's like to have a child with a broken arm. And, and, and making those connections, I think, are really what you know, we should have always been about um, versus just lining up in a pew on Sunday morning and, and, and that sort of thing. But having that connection with people where lives actually matter yeah. And, and getting the like I know you do a great job of that I've, I've watched you over the years like how you make that connection with people and, and how you try to um, genuinely you know kind of have that uh, relationship component to that and and in your church setting that's completely different than it is in, in Zach and I setting right. um, you know and, and I think that that's one of the things I love about I haven't read the new book yet I've it's on my list of things to buy it this month cool. um, and so I'm looking forward to reading it kind of as a reminder but also utilizing it we're trying to get going saying hey look we're trying to do something out of the box that is relational and we really want that connection and so it kind of sounds like the book will do a good job of helping us kind of rethink that a little bit i i think there's definitely pieces in there and we were very intentional about trying to put in examples and say look here's here's some things it's going to be uh contextual it's going to be different for every every location uh there's a story in there of one of our after hours people um, had just taken uh, a burlesque class and she invited everybody to come to the final. And I'm like, this was not covered in, in seminary. Like I don't ever remember this being like a, a project that we needed to review. Uh, but she was so proud of her community. And actually she was so proud of both communities because that burlesque community was really, really tight for her and really, have really shown up for each other in ways that that she says other groups hadn't for me prior to that she was in roller derby so i mean this she was out of the butt, but but it was about community for her in all those cases and i think what's fascinating when you talk about um your experience and and i think uh it it was amazing what happened and so i don't think it's a negative you obviously you were talking about church of the resurrection and adam hamilton and, and that experience is that here's a building that is, that is, I've been lucky enough, I've been there a number of times and, and have gotten some tours backstage and stuff and they've got a huge sound room and they got, they got a, a control room and, and cameras and, and uh, tech directors and all kinds of, they've got this massive facility, they got this huge bookstore and with all that, what impressed you was that this guy took time to talk to your daughter. If, if that's not the message of, what really matters it wasn't how many cameras that were set up it wasn't theater seating it wasn't wow the lighting here is super badass it was that this guy talked to my kid like he's got a billion things to do 
and he took time to talk to my kid. Man, if that's not like the, I don't even know if you remember what the sermon was on, but boy, that's the piece that you took home was, was wow, this guy with all these plates that are spinning took time to do this. That's a big damn deal. You know, I mean, I, I think that's a, that's a takeaway for, for a lot of us that are in the relationship business. And, and truly, I think damn near everybody is to one degree or another, but I think we uh, soar or fail based on, on how we do that relationship and be able to read it really quick. I mean, cause not everybody's super comfortable with, with chit chat. I mean, I'm a, I used to think I was a, um, a raging extrovert. I realize now uh, I've met raging extroverts. Um, that's not me. Like I'm, I'm comfortably in the extrovert category, but I have a lot of introvert time. And I've also learned not everybody wants to engage the same way. And, and bartending taught me that, that there was some you had to go, okay, this is the first date. You can read that in seconds. This guy's on a business trip and clearly lonely and wants some conversation. Uh, this guy, obviously something's wrong because he just ordered three drinks in the last 20 minutes and we need to get a grip and sort of feel that out. But all that's done in a matter of seconds is trying to see, and, and it's no different than us standing at the back of the sanctuary. Sorry about the phone. Uh, is us standing back in the sanctuary and when they're coming through the line, figuring out what do people need and how much, and if they need more than I think, then we schedule some other time, you know, at a, at a later date. Um, I can go ahead and get that, but that'll stop very soon. So can you hear my phone ringing? Yeah, yeah, we can hear it. I'm just, I'm trying to figure out what it is. I've not heard a real phone ring in you know, years. You know, super funny. <laughs> and it's an antique phone. It's like this, it looks like it's from like the ninth, mid-century. And it's like turquoise and it's got the handset and everything on it. So uh, unfortunately, it also comes with the irritating 1950s ring. So, <laughs> is, it, is it a dial? Does it take no, nine minutes to dial a number? We would have done it. We would have done it totally. So totally true. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You know, you, you talk about this, the, the relationships, that's what we're in, right? Whether it's us as, us as pastors or just people, right? We're, we're in the business of just building relationships across the board, you know, in our families, in our communities, in, you know, with strangers we meet in bars and airports and cabs and wherever, right? Um, and, and we begin to think about that and we think about um, how we do that and how we do it, maybe not differently, because this stuff's been going on forever. This is not a new idea. I think we're just busting out of the box and uh, saying, no, 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 we're going to take this back. We're going to be in these places, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, these are the places Jesus went. These are the places we're going to go, you That's, know, and, yeah. and beyond. And so when we think about that uh, in the scope of what the Methodist Church is going through, I don't know that there's a better, more appropriate time to really dig into this and say, no, 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 this is who we are. Right. And this is who people are. And we're going to freaking go be a people. Uh, yeah. Period. Yeah. And, and I think the fact that, you know, the United Methodists, I think in our, in our, on our best days are really centered in this concept of grace of this idea of we'll take you right where you are. Um, you know, in the first book I wrote about, um, we used to do this thing called last call Christmas and we'd go to this um, dive bar that, that we still go to. In fact, I was there Monday night doing after hours and we would do this Christmas service around the pool table and it would last all 15 minutes. It was the Christmas story. It was communion and it was silent night and it would wrap up and we'd start around two o'clock, 2 a.m. And we'd be done at 2:20, And then we would sit around 
and uh, I can either confirm or deny that the, that the taps may have been open because of course that wouldn't have been legal. So let's just say people opened up a bunch of sodas and we hung out. The truth is, I thought I was going there to do a worship service, but the reality is it was confession. We, we, one, they couldn't believe that clergy were in a dive bar on Christmas Eve at last call. That, that in and of itself broke the ice. But then we heard about, and I mentioned this in, in last call, we, we heard about the three DWIs and we heard about the two abortions and we heard about all the stuff in their house where they were safe and we were coming to hear and it, it was, it became a safe enough space that they felt like they could share these things. And I thought, man, United Methodism is, is tailor-made to meet people in that brokenness. I mean, when we do it perfectly right, it's like, yes, we are here not to shame you. We are here to recognize that we're all broken in some way. We all are addicted to something. We all have these things that we're trying to work through and, and let's limp along together. You know, let's do that. And what's really hard is some of those people are so broken and hurt that the shame is so great. They'll never set foot in quote unquote, our house. So to me, it's a biblical imperative for us to go out and, and to go and, and be where they are. Cause God knows the only gig we all really have is to try to be like Jesus. Like that's like the one sentence mission statement. If you, you know, they will know you're Christians by your love and don't worship me, follow me, be like I would. And that's where he would be. I mean, we, we know that we know he'd be with the poor. We know that he would be with the broken. Um, to me, Peter Rollins says this beautifully. He says, he goes, you know, and he goes, what's, what's unique about Christianity? As soon as I start talking about Peter Rollins, I start to talk. In my, what's beautiful about Christianity is, is when someone's broken, we actually run towards them. We actually run towards them. And I, I'm thinking that's so true. I mean, all of society trains us that when, when things are bad, get out of there. And Christianity says when things are bad, go and be with the people who are broken. And it's, it's that, and we're back to connection, and we're back to community. That's where people will find God. You guys know, you've been doing the gig long enough to know, very rarely do people come up to any of us and go, do you remember that sermon from six years ago that you preached? First off, no, we don't. I forget it usually by Tuesday. Second, what they always say is, when you came and visited me in the hospital, like that was everything. Like, do you, and, and I still get, to this day, I've been doing it after I was nine years, so at the other church six, so I'm talking from 12 years ago, people go, you know what, when so-and-so was in the hospital because of his stomach thing and you came in, that meant the world. And I'm like, how did we, where did we lose that? Like, where did we think that the core of it is going to be preaching to these huge rooms of people when the reality is it's the one-on-one -on -one connections more than anything else that people remember that, you know, was it Maya Angelou that said, said people won't remember what you said or what you did, they'll remember how you made them feel. And man, does is that strike true. You know, we're most vulnerable in hospitals. We're most vulnerable when we're sick. And, and for us to come and be with, um, I think is the, is the world, man. I think that's the world. I really do. So. That's all. I got nothing else. I think so too. And I, I think that, 
<laughs> you got nothing else. You're empty. <laughs> if you were a good Buddhist, your your karma is just gone. You're just complete emptiness right now, right? Uh, <laughs> you can tell what I've been studying. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think what you got maybe where we've missed it is there was somewhere somewhere along the line there was a transition of oh, I'm going to be there for you, right? As a as a pastor, as a person, I'm going to go and be there for you, yes. and and it's oh no no no. no let's go be with you. Let's go be with people. Uh, and, and it's kind of that transition from missions. Oh, we're going to go do this work all for, for these people, right? No, no, let's go be with people. Let's go be with yeah. people right where they are. Well, I think it's also an expectation sure. of like, hey, you're the pastor. I expect you to answer my phone call. Who cares if you've had a hellacious week and you need your time to rest? Like, sure. Who cares if it's one o'clock in the morning? We, we want you there. Like, it's mm-hmm. that I, the kind of the we own you kind of mentality sure. versus hey let's let's be in right relationship like um, I have a funeral tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. and I told the family uh, before he passed last week hey understand I've got to be in Nashville for a couple of days um, if if he passes this week like Thursday Friday Saturday they're open for you all but I'm I'm literally out of pocket I've got a thing that I can't you know shuffle and and even in the conversation with the spouse after he passed he was like hey you go to nashville don't worry about it and then i know you'll be on 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 thursday morning because you've already been there enough for us that it will be all right Mm -hmm. and um and And i think that that's that um we really have right well and i think it has to do with like this family i've gotten to know just basically through text messages because of the way that their care has been and just in and out. And I mean, she's, she loves it when I send her a text message just, Hey, I'm just checking in on you. I haven't heard you. Um, You know, and I think it's that we've got to shift from that industrialized Mm -hmm. uh, genus of like the, the lined up things to actually going and building relationships. Like, like we all do. I mean, we all do it in our own unique ways. And, um, and, and that's something I've definitely been wrestling with a lot lately is, like I want to get out of that institutionalized mess that it is, right. and I want to get back to what make what has made me a good pastor, and that's being in the community, going to playing Monday night basketball, um, doing other little things in the community that um, that I you know that one I see as being the church, but it's also like hey I actually like doing this stuff, right? Um, and I think that that's that stuff that we've got to get back to. Absolutely, and, and to recognize you know I mean. Um, Wesley has got this this great line. You know, we know the line, "The world will not perish," and I think there really is. Uh, a buddy of mine, Brad Lorbeck, I think you guys some you may know Brad. Brad says, "You know, I serve the people of this part of Denver, and I'm appointed to this church." It's the idea that we're the pa- our, our parish is much bigger than inside the four walls, whatever those four walls are, and how is it that we? truly engage with our community and and not just in passing but really know their stories and that takes time and and i think if we move back and i think we are from what i've read what little bit of data i've seen the industrial movement is shifting and we're in some ways we're moving back to relationship um Will Williman wrote an interesting piece. He was talking about the discipline. He's like, I'm certain God's going, look, I didn't write the discipline. You guys wrote the discipline. I didn't set down all those rules. You guys set down all those rules. Like, like how do we get less industrial and more relational? And no, there's going to be a cost to that. The cost is, yeah, we won't have the infrastructure to support the massive coffee shops and bookstore and all the, the stuff 
the many malls that some churches have become. And maybe we need to find a way to be okay with that. Maybe we need to find a way to go look relationship first and that may cost us. And, and, and that will hurt at times. I, I'm certain after hours is going on nine or 10 years now, um, depending on if you include where we were prior to getting the appointment and I'm still the only employee. Now I go nuts sometimes, but we've also got tremendous volunteers and we're very intentional going, look, we want our structure to be really flat. We want people to know, look, there's one payroll person and then the rest goes the peanut butter and jelly and coats and boots. That's where your money goes. And a lot of people responded to that going, oh, hell yeah. You know, we know that, you know, you got to eat, but yeah, we'd rather put boots on feet. And so that, that part has really worked. The, the, the fact that we are so service oriented in the community, and I, I touch on this in the book too, that that is such a strong way to connect to the holy is to, to be with those who are struggling in one way or the other, whether it's financial, with their health, with their, their, their place in the system in life. Um, for us to, to me, that's the, has been the one consistent place I see Christ over and over is in the eyes of the poor. Like it, it is stunning to me how much there is. And to Zach, to your point, how much it is to be with them and not go do to them that has, has changed everything. It's become this relationship. I know we're called to be Christ in the world and when they're in line in communion, I see Christ in their eyes. And I think for a lot of people, they totally go, yeah, fuck church. You know, I just, I don't like to go. It's boring. And bo-. I'm like, well, what else are you doing besides just consuming it? Because we trained them. Like we, I, I, before anybody comes down too hard on the congregation, we trained congregations to consume church. Like we trained them to go come and take all the cool shit we've got. Like, our great choir and the trips to Belize and the, and the once a year trip to the Holy Land. And don't forget the classes that we have. And we also have the volleyball team and we've got the choir and the youth choir and the children's choir. And we've got like, come and, and just let us give to you, which is so not Christ's message. Like Christ's message is to go out and, and serve and be with. And so how do we do that? How do we go out? And, and I think that's going to take a huge shift. And I think we're going to watch the church obviously, uh, change a lot in the next 10 to 15 years. Uh, and I think it's going to, it's, I think it's going to hurt like hell, honestly. Uh, but I also think, I remember I, we were talking about this at After Hours, somebody said, I wish I knew who said the quote. So if anybody finds out, get to me. Uh, they said, nowhere in the universe does change occur without tremendous friction, whether it is a seed pushing up through the soil, whether it is a child being birthed through a womb, whether it is a, a chicken cracking through an egg, there's going to be friction. And something's beautiful is going to come out the other side. But don't think it's going to be easy in the middle. And, you know, I think we are at a moment in time right now where we're in the friction. I think we are in the friction right now. And I think it's going to be beautiful on the other side. But it's, it sucks now. <laughs> yeah, those those growing pains are tough. Uh, and um, but Jerry, thanks. You have any parting wisdom for us before oh, yes. we tell people to go to book and? <laughs> yeah. um, 
at first I would say don't drink red wine and vodka in the same night. I, I would separate those. I think that's probably strong. Uh, more proteins and carbs, I think is pretty healthy. And, uh, and, uh, and buy Rogue Saints. It's only $10 and uh, it's damn near the size of a pamphlet. So it's a very quick read. You'll get through it very fast. So thanks for having me on guys. I, uh, I like to call those one sitters, right? Where yeah. you can sit on the toilet, read it in one go. <laughs> totally. Yes. That's great. If you, back, if, you back out, if you back out the drink recipes, it goes even quicker. I mean, it really does. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It's always fun on a podcast when you get drink recipes, when you get uh, <laughs> nutritional advice, and you know, how not to be theology. Hungry. <laughs> <laughs> we hit all the we hit all the big points today. <laughs> Good stuff. That's right. It has definitely been a good mix today. And Jerry, we thank you for your time. Um, when uh, linked to that, so like people can buy both of them. Uh, Last Call on Rogue Saints. Um, and you can buy them on Amazon or Cokesbury, wherever books are sold, um, or however you buy your books. Um, please do that. Uh, support Jerry and, and the great work that he does in the Denver area. Um, and so we want to encourage you to check out our podcast. We've got a lot of stuff up on the, um, on the website. And uh, so for the Bearded Theologians, I'm Matt Franks. I'm Zach Bechtold. Thanks for checking us out. We hope you've enjoyed the conversations that we've had today on the Bearded Theologians Beardcast. And we'd encourage you to continue those conversations online at beardedtheologians.com or on our Facebook page. We also hope that you pick up a couple of coffee mugs to uh, satisfy your coffee mug collection. Have a good day.